I think it's time we face the truth about the unjust world we live in. The truth is we have every tool we need to prevent the spread of HIV. Condoms, PrEP, PEP, ART, awareness, education. And yet 2.1 million people, 150 of them children, were infected with HIV last year. In South Africa alone, 180,000 people died of AIDS last year. 2.1 million children and counting have been orphaned by this disease. And uh, that was South African-born actress and United Nations Ambassador Charlize Theron delivering a powerful message at the ob- official opening of the 21st International AIDS Conference sitting in Durban, KwaZulu-Natal this week. And uh, welcome to the Forum at 8 this morning. And this is the focus of uh, this morning's discussion. Now, the 21st International AIDS Conference is underway and uh, there's been lots of praise for the work that has been done in reducing infection rates, but they there's also consensus that the fight is far from over. And uh, this morning on the Forum at 8, we ask, what is the status of the fight against HIV and AIDS in South Africa? Are we progressing or are we regressing? And we'd love to hear your views, your input on this as well. And really very encouraged that those messages have been coming through since 6 a.m. So we'll read uh, some of those. But uh, of course, engage our experts this morning, Dr. Farid Abdullah, who's the CEO of the South South African National AIDS Council, who joins us from our Durban studios. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Dr. Abdullah. Good morning, Sakina. Thanks so much. And also Professor uh, Gita Ramji, who's the Director of HIV Prevention Research Unit at the South African Medical Research Council. Professor, uh, Professor Ramji, thanks for your time as well. Good morning, Sakina. Thank you for inviting me. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, if we look at the South African situation, uh, the, the country boasts the largest treatment uh, campaign in the world at 3.4 million people. And recent statistics estimate that over 6 million people live with the disease and that about 2,000 um, women aged between 15 and 24 are infected with HIV every week. And then just listening to Charlie Strand there and uh, talking about 2.1 million new infections last year alone. Surely those are scary stats, but it begs the question, are we making progress or are we regressing in our fight against HIV and AIDS, Dr. Abdullah? Uh, Let's start by just um, clarifying those numbers. As you said, Um, the the 2.1 million figure is a global figure. Uh, In South Africa, we had 330,000 new infections. That's still a large number of infections. So, To answer your question, uh, Sakina, we are doing well on treatment and we can see the impact of treatment on mortality and on life expectancy and we must take nothing away from our achievements in that regard. But as everybody uh, speaking last night at the AIDS conference has said, we still have a problem with new infections and that is about safe sex, it's about social relationships, it's about the vulnerabilities of young women um, so on that front, we have a long, long road to travel. And in fact, we have a lot more to do and we must get to it urgently.
So what would you say are, you know, some of the major constraints in actually fighting um, the scourge of HIV and AIDS? Uh, Because even if you look at something like uh, mother-to-child transmission and that being in decline, the harsh reality remains that the infection rate amongst adults is not declining. Am I correct in saying that? And if so, what are those constraints, uh, Professor Ramji? Well, um from what we know, it's not just about uh, um, biomedical intervention. We need to better understand the socio-economic, cultural, behavioral context of the lives of the people. And um, if we get that better, what are the risks? What are the risk perceptions? What would people use to, uh, to avert those risks? Then we can uh, develop or a package of uh, tools that will be suitable for their lifestyle. But uh, currently, I think we have the biomedical interventions but and we know that some of them work when they're used correctly. But the point is, why are people not using the biomedical interventions, and what is the reason behind it? And we need to get that to that reason. What is the reason? What are the acceptability issues? What are the issues on at home on the ground for young women, especially mm. who who really do not who come to our clinical trial sites, who use we counsel, they come monthly for testing. They uh, uh, use the interventions uh, more currently, the intravaginal ring. But you find that the woman, when she goes home, is not able to use the ring consistently on a daily basis. There are issues. And we need to understand the context of their lives. What is it that makes them take the risks? We were in um, Newcastle for the Mandela Day celebrations and uh, there were three young girls who were pregnant and they were 15 years old and they were standing together. So, you know, they attracted quite a bit of attention from us, at least, because you could see these girls are young. And uh, so uh, our producers, Tagazelo Dlamini, approached them, um, you know, to try and speak to them to find out, you know, what's going on. And um, the reason they gave to Tagazelo was absolutely shocking. And they said that they simply wanted to experience what it was like to have sex without a condom. So they were, they were just curious. And, and they were very flippant about it as well, which, which was really shocking. So, again, speaking to those stats of women um, and girls uh, between the ages of 15, 25, and the fact that they remain most at risk, what can we do? What should be done in order to strengthen the efforts that are already being made to change that situation, uh, Dr. Abdullah? It's really about getting um, back to the basics, uh, Sakina. Uh, we um, need to educate people, especially young people in schools. We know that we have a life skills program in schools that has not been very effective for the last 10 years. So we need to get it on the right level. We uh, need to do it the right way. So we know that teachers struggle to do sex education with, uh, with their students. And the education department, I know, is looking at a whole revision of that. But we also need to uh, have programs which are attractive to young people. And uh, at this conference, we'll be launching a program with um, with the Staying Alive Foundation, with, which is an MTV uh, sort of um, uh, subsidiary, which young people will relate to. Uh, that's at, at the level of basic information which is going down. The, the second is about basic behavior, risk, reducing risky behavior, like those 15-year-old girls, you know, they should not struggle to understand 
that it might be interesting for them to uh, have sex without a condom, but the risk of falling pregnancy so outweighs that, um, you know, uh, that interest uh, that they should uh, not be not be taking those kinds of risks. Multiple partnerships, we have a huge problem with that. And then we start to get to the more structural things. We have a real problem in this country of uh, intergenerational sex, young women who are uh, having sex for uh, uh, for money and gifts, mm. what we call transactional sex. Mm. And then we have a huge problem with sexual coercion, sexual violence, rape, uh, where young women don't actually have the choice. They they are forced uh, to you know into sexual uh, situations where they have uh, risky sexual behavior. So it's a full spectrum. And I think what a lot of the people speaking at this conference last night have been saying is that we can't do this in a lackadaisical way. These have to be proper programs that are properly funded, that reach uh, you know, the population we, we, we're targeting. We also have to uh, reach, young, uh, reach the men and on two levels. You know, one is we must convince the men that you know, they are exposing themselves and young women um, to infection. But we also need to send a clear message to men that uh, uh, exploiting younger women is completely unacceptable on a community level. And if you force sex on a young woman, that's actually illegal. So we need you know, something with uh, verve, enthusiasm. We need to do this in the same way in which we've rolled out treatment. And then we might start to get somewhere. Mm. And could it be that we have in some ways as uh, South Africa, as a society, become victims of our own success? And by this I mean uh, perhaps people don't see the need to protect themselves because they know that they actually have access to medication, Professor Ramji. I think that's absolutely right. People have this perception that there's treatment available, you can have treatment for life and you can live a healthy life like any normal person. It's very normalized in terms of HIV. So people believe that there is treatment, so why, why the, you know, if, if we do have unprotected sex, we will have treatment in the end, so we don't have to worry about that. But on the other hand, we also need to recognize that sex is uh, pleasurable, and people want, have too many other competing priorities in life, economic priorities, safety priorities. So people, when I speak to young people, they say that when they're having a, a, a relationship with a person, the last thing they think is to condomize because there are so many other priority issues that have, they have in a day-to-day life that they don't even think about it. So we need to come back, like Farid said, that we need to have innovative programs for youth to make them, and youth and young people, to make them understand that prevention is better than treatment. Mm. And, um, you know, some very interesting messages coming through from our listeners. And we'll also open the lines on 891 for them to come through. But here's an interesting one, at least I think it is. Um, uh, at On The Rock says, um, commercialize HIV testing and testing tools. In that way, you empower people to be independent of discovering their status. Uh, because that speaks to the stigma that Nkosimpile Mkunu refers to, saying that in order for us to win, we must actually not stigmatize AIDS. What's your response to that, Dr. Abdullah? Uh, your, uh, your caller is absolutely right. Uh, stigma remains a problem. 
at the National AIDS Council, we have interviewed 10,000 people, and the results there show that stigma is certainly a continuing problem. His suggestion for self-testing is something that the country is looking at, and in fact, globally, there's a lot of consensus now that there will be always be a group of people who don't want to uh, expose themselves to a clinic where there are other people waiting in the queue, uh, or you know they want to do it more quietly, and we should have um, they should have access to a test at home, which they can do themselves, and uh, a lot of people you know will be prepared to pay for this test. Actually, in South Africa these days, you can go to the pharmacy and buy a test. Uh, and you can test yourself. And the advice is if the test comes up positive, then go to a clinic and get a proper test with, you know, by a nurse or a doctor so that you really know what is the outcome. But stigma remains a problem, and we need to, we need to continue to address it. Well, um, uh, there's also another question here that I want to put to you, or uh, a comment, rather, from Tsepo Mohale, uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Ramji. And Tsepo says... We've become complacent in our fight against AIDS. Uh, the education about always practicing safe sex uh, should be heightened because there was a time in this country where we were literally bombarded, inundated with these messages and, and you couldn't escape it. But all of, them, uh, all of that seems to have faded uh, in the last number of years. I totally agree. I think there is a whole there's complacency across the country and more so across the world, I would think, with HIV prevention. Uh, we, like I said before, we need to, uh, to reinvent ways how we're going to do HIV education, uh, um, find novel ways, especially among youth, youth-friendly uh, services and areas where we can uh, alert the youth about HIV, the need for HIV prevention. And we, we basically rehash the whole campaign on HIV prevention, we need to do it because we are totally complacent at this point in time. Well, Gwena says um, uh, HIV is like road traffic accidents. The signs and messages of safety are there, but we choose to ignore them. So let's hear more of your views on 891 Dylan is calling us from Cape Town. Good morning, Dylan. Hi, good morning. Welcome. I have one question, though. If you take those numbers that you guys mentioned at the beginning of the program into account, global infection rate last year of 2.1 million rand, uh, 2.1 million infections, 300,000 in South Africa alone, that is one-seventh of the global infection rate. Now, if and if for the sake of easy maths, you had to say that South Africa's population was 70 million, which it's not, but even if you say it was, compared to the 7 billion or whatever the global population is, which is about 1%, how on earth can our Department of Education... Or our, and, and Department of Health, who have a joint responsibility, I think, from an education perspective, how can anybody in government claim that we are doing an adequate job and we are so ahead of the curve and we are contributing so substantially to the global infection rate? I don't understand that. Thank you so much, Dylan. Um, uh, Professor Abdullah? I mean, Professor uh, Ramji? Well, I think, uh, you know, like we said, it's complacency. But remember, the burden of disease in South Africa is huge. It's not just about HIV. We have a, 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 a dual epidemic with TB as well. So I would say the government is doing really well. We've come a long way since the denialism in the early 90s, uh, in the 2000s. And if, if 
If you can just see, if we have the largest rollout HIV treatment rollout program in the world, we have over 3 million people already on treatment. And it takes time to get everybody on treatment. So, for example, if we have um, uh, three, uh, the, the new, um, the new uh, interventions will be such that everybody currently, or if you have a CD4 count, your immune status at 500, you initiate treatment. But as of September, anybody who tests positive will be on treatment. On the other hand, we're doing a, a large amount of work in terms of HIV prevention. We're doing a lot of HIV prevention research. We're doing research on pre-exposure prophylaxis. We're doing research on women-initiated HIV prevention. So, and, and the government is supportive of all the work we're doing. It's just that we are not getting the people to understand and perceive their risks for HIV. The government can do everything they can, the education part, the, the availability of treatment, uh, prevention programs, but the individual has to take responsibility as well. Mm, but I guess what Dylan is asking is that, you know, given that government is doing all that it can and that it is doing, which is noted, can we, however, claim that, you know, we are successful, that we are winning this battle, given the current statistics. I mean, uh, just to add to what uh, Dylan has already mentioned there, um, uh, we're talking about a report that shows that 2,000 women between the ages of 15 and 24 years get infected in South Africa every week, Um, Dr. Abdullah. Dylan is absolutely correct. You know, South Africa's uh, new infection rate is extremely high. It contributes, uh, I think he said, one out of seven. In fact, if you look at the detailed statistics, it could actually be one out of five. Now, um, we are doing well on treatment, on half of the problem, and that's undeniable. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how well we're doing there. But there's a recognition now at the highest levels of government, including the deputy president, uh, ministers of health and education that uh, we still have a big, big battle on our hands and we are not doing well on new infections. So there's been a tendency to sort of focus on the good news and there has been good news. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, you'll notice that at this conference and over the last six to eight months when the statistics have become clearer, uh, you know, the messaging is clear that we still have a long road to go. We have still much more to do. We need to make bigger investments. Now, now at the AIDS Council, we work with government, but we also work with 6,000 NGOs in this country uh, who are, you know, uh, grappling with this problem. So collectively, uh, you know, the, the view um, view is not a triumphalistic view, and it shouldn't be. Um, but we really can't take, take away from the fact that if we didn't have a good treatment program in this country, three million people would be on their deathbeds. I tell you, that's no exaggeration. I've been working in this field for more than two decades. And, you know, 15 years ago, that was what we had in this country. So there's a big change. The other improvement that we have, I mean, improvement, actually, that's an understatement, is that there's been a 90% decrease in the number of um, newborns born with HIV. So these are successes. The, the the funding for these programs is from government. But, you know, as Dylan has pointed out, uh, we can't be triumphalistic. We can't claim victory over mm. this epidemic. Uh, we still have a, a massive uh, 
uh, kind of uh, uh, flood of new infections every year. And and the, the task now is to get on top of that. Absolutely. Um, uh, talking about mother-to-child transmission, uh, there's an SMS here. Uh, says uh, It's from Jack in Alberton. Jack says, mother-to-child transmission, doesn't this phrase suggest that the mother passed the HIV to the child alone? What about father and mother-to-child transmission? Uh, just always projecting the mother as the bad one. Uh, let's share the responsibility even on how we phrase things when it comes to HIV. Professor Ramji? Well, it's true. The woman wouldn't have become pregnant if the father or man wasn't there. So, um, but the thing is, in many cases, um, there are pregnant women that do not have partners. And the mother-to-child transmission is because the mother is, has either been positive uh, uh, before uh, at pregnancy or during pregnancy. And we know that there is a risk of incre- uh, incidence of pregnancy during pregnancy. Uh, incidents of HIV during pregnancy. And I think the couple has to take responsibility. The man and the woman, the man and the woman, the infections where the infections have occurred, and take the responsibility of how that child can acquire HIV infection through pregnancy. So I agree with the caller that, yes, absolutely, it should be a responsibility of the, the couple and who, who are then responsible for, through the mother, to pass the virus to the child. Well, this morning on the Forum at 8, we're assessing the status of our fighter, South Africa, in the battle against HIV and AIDS. And we're asking, are we progressing? Are we regressing? And helping us to unpack that is Dr. Farid Abdullah, who's the CEO of the South African National AIDS Council, as well as Professor Gita Ramji, Director of HIV Prevention Research Unit at the South African Medical Research Council. The Forum at 8 with Sakina Kamwendo on AM Live, turning the spotlight on the big issues and the people behind them. The 21st International AIDS Conference is currently underway in Durban. And this morning on the Forum at 8, we are asking, uh, what is the status of our fight against HIV and AIDS in South Africa? Are we progressing or are we regressing? And taking your calls on 891 and uh, helping us to demystify and answer some of the questions, Dr. Farid Abdullah, who's the CEO of the South African National AIDS Council. He's in our Durban studios and we have on the line to us Professor Geet. Ramji, who's the director for HIV Prevention um, Research Unit at the South African Medical Research Council. And let me just run through some messages before we get uh, to the calls. Um, this one from Brian Kumalo and Peter Maritzburg. Brian says, big corporates are making massive profit with uh, the pricing of HIV, uh, a- ARVs and it's not about prevention now. It's all about treatment only. And quite a few people um, are talking about that. Um, where Ketty says um, a malnourished person has the same symptoms of HIV as one who is HIV positive. Uh, so PCR tool tests uh, are a replication of DNA. Uh, so why HIV tests? Why dismiss uh, researchers um, uh, of the kind of Dr. Peter Duisberg in favor of others? Is it that we are so used to enriching the pharmaceutical cartel? And, um, you know, quite a few people on that tip that, you know, the, 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 we, we, we cannot dismiss uh, the fact that some people are actually benefiting materially and monetarily from what is going on here. What's your response to that, uh, Dr. Abdullah? Well, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, 
the price of antiretroviral drugs was so high that it was um, really unethical. Uh, the big pharmaceutical companies put their profits before the lives of people. Their pricing structure was, uh, you know, really unnecessarily uh, high. Over the last 10 years, there's been a lot of work uh, uh, through the WHO and through um, agencies like Doctors Without Borders uh, to negotiate a different uh, patent uh, mechanisms. So the big pharma are now um, almost obliged in many ways to give licenses to gener generic manufacturers. Le let me put that in number terms. When Justice Edwin Cameron spoke uh, at the 2000 conference 16 years ago, he said that his medicines cost him $400 per month. The South African government now buys the same medicines for $100 a year. That's like a 95% drop in the price. And what has happened is that it's been very smart uh, that we've uh, basically, in a smart way, uh, through um, you know voluntary licenses and through uh, working with genetic manufacturers throughout the world, including in South Africa, that we've been able to bring the price of drugs down. So pharmaceutical companies make drugs and they make money. Let's never be uh, uh, you know have any doubt about about that. And their their interests are financial, but we're not in the um, the place we were 15 years ago where. You know, there was just uh, sort of um, um, unparalleled profiteering from this problem. Uh, we've done very well in the HIV world to bring the price of drugs down. And I'm sure uh, other areas of healthcare can can learn from that. Uh, the Minister of Health has been making that same point about cancer treatment, for instance, which is very high. I can tell you that treatment for hepatitis C uh, is extremely high now. These are all things, diseases, areas that we, that could learn from the HIV world. It's one area we have done done well. The price of drugs has come down substantially and the drugs are getting better uh, uh, and, and, and smarter each, uh, each year. And uh, many of our listeners are agreeing that uh, this cannot be the responsibility of government alone. And let me tell you what they're saying. Uh, Lazarus Sima says, uh, parents must educate their children at home. We can't... Um, hold the Department of uh, Education or government uh, responsible alone. We all have to play our part. Pilani says information is available. Maybe it needs to be focused on younger people. We need a renewed interest and focus in order to win. Unati Kwaza says, I'm afraid that no matter how good government does with giving us ARVs, the rest is up to us to have safe sex. And I think that since we know how effective ARVs are, we have relaxed and stopped caring about our conduct. A major general says the government has been doing a lot. Uh, we, the people, aren't being careful and the majority aren't using protection. So it's good to see that people are doing some introspection about this matter. But let's hear from more listeners who are calling in. 891 is the number. Uh, Richard is calling us from Weinberg in Cape Town. Good morning, Richard. Hi. Yeah, uh, this is going to sound um, like a harsh question, but uh, I'm not unsympathetic at all with this situation. My question is, at, at what stage, like you've just mentioned, somebody said that it can't be the responsibility of government altogether. And, you know, I'm wondering whether it would be better to hand the whole of the, the campaign, even, even treatment as well as um, 
um, the non-new infection side of things over to a proper NGO who would get a big government grant. You know, we all know now how, how HIV is contracted. And you've got the average taxpayer, every hospital, um, especially in the Cape here, every hospital is full of people with ARVs and so on. And it's all been sponsored by the taxpayer. And at what stage do we say, because we're all very, very um, um, careful about not uh, criticizing anybody, but at what stage do we start to say, hang on a second, if you're going to get this infection yourself, uh, where are you going to take some of the responsibility for it? And I'd be interested to know, as I say, I'm not unsympathetic, and I, I just don't think either way has been handled correctly at this stage. So people are just getting treatment and they're getting infected and there's no consequence to the action. All right, uh, we'll get a response to that. Thanks so much, Richard. Monty is in Durban. Good morning, Monty. Good morning. I um, um, Thank you for taking this call. I uh, am working with really vulnerable people in communities, and, and the vulnerability is often created in the family where the vulnerable is being exploited on the streets of that community. Now, uh, for that group of people... Um, we don't have a very good response yet because they are unlikely to turn up at clinics. They are being trafficked. They are being uh, put onto hunger uh, uh, and drugs. And uh, boys are having sex with them because they really are needing a, a significant human connection. So there's a, a, a huge group within the community at ground level who are unlikely to respond in the way we're discussing. And, a, and, and a, a really suitable response is going to be needed from us for them. Mm. Thank you so much for raising that, Monty. Uh, Karim is also in Durban. Good morning, Karim. Hello, Sakina. How are you? Well, thanks. And you? I haven't spoken to you for a while. Sakina, I'd like to come on a different angle on the subject that we're talking about AIDS. I, I want to come from an angle where, you know, we're overlooking a very, very big major problem. Uh, let's just say uh, in South Africa, you know, we have these truck drivers that are commuting from black, uh, from Zimbabwe, from all over, who come to the country. But if you look at statistics and if you, have, if you read around the newspapers, you find that most of these guys are sleeping with women. And, you know, it, it could be a percentage that you're overlooking because, you know, uh, uh, 10 truck drivers probably sleep with 10 women, and the 10 women sleep with another 10 men or whatever. You know, it, 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 it's, it's a long queue. And the thing is, we're all angling into social problems, which I know there's a big problem at schools, at different levels, at social levels. And also we have also forgotten to indicate that the social media is playing a very big part in this whole thing because it is actually encouraging people to do sex, have sex, on the media, but the, I think the biggest problem that South Africa—I'm just talking from South African perspective—is I think we have this numerous cases where we hear that track drivers sleep at night and then they pick up a girl. And I'm just saying that's my view. But I think maybe that's an angle that they should look at and maybe focus on the fact that how do we curtail this particular search? Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Karim. Uh, let's go to Rudapur. Uh, Masabata. Good morning. Hello, Sakina. Welcome. Yes. Thank you. No, I just wanted to say that uh, after more than 30 years of the so-called fight against HIV, I think we must admit that there is something fundamentally wrong. And maybe we need to change the premises upon which we base our understanding of what makes people to die. And uh, my, I, I, I'm very suspicious of the so-called scientists who are involved in the HIV 
research and so on because they do not want to change the theories. If the theory was correct, by now there should have been a cure. The fact that there is no cure after so many years shows that there is fundamentally something wrong with the premise upon which everybody is working. And also... I'm very suspicious of the fact that they do not want to hear alternative views, both in terms of the cause and the treatment. Uh, the only treatment, according to so-called scientists, it is medicine, uh, in fact, drugs, ARV drugs. There is no any other intervention that they want to hear about. Secondly, I'm very suspicious that why is the research led by virologists not immune uh, immunologists, because those that they say it's an immune deficiency syndrome. So I would like to see people who know how to strengthen the immune system rather than chase a virus that might not even exist. Rather, let's talk about how to strengthen immune system and see if people can respond positively. And so my, my whole point is that I'm very suspicious and skeptical about the so-called fight uh, against HIV. After so many years, there is still no solution. Thank you, Sakin. Thank you so much, Masabata. Zoro in Johannesburg, what's your view? Uh, my view is that, uh, I believe that uh, HIV and AIDS and uh, uh, human traffic have a big impact on the HIV and AIDS because like most of the people where I live in Johannesburg, there's a lot of human trafficking in which, like, people have sex in with many people. So, like, uh, they have to be a, something like uh, a, a unit in which uh, uh, the police or there will be a, a group of people who will be managing uh, human trafficking. Because, like, most of the people get affected during the intercourse in which and even the rape is the raping. People are getting raped, so like there must be a, a system of rape. Uh, they must increase. Maybe uh, how long people have to sit mm-hmm. in jail. So like uh, even the government must improve uh, the treatment because like right now as they are uh, having a, a meeting in Cape Town, this will be they must have a strategy in which they're going to attack this uh, virus because, like, at this moment, there's no cure. Okay. Zoro, in that meeting, uh, the conference is happening in Durban. But thanks for your call. Uh, let's speak to Maureen in Cape Town. Good morning, Maureen. Uh, good morning, Sagina. Sagina, I am concerned that uh, when you contact the, the AIDS virus, it manifests many years later. And how do these contaminated men know that they've got AIDS? Because will they be going to be checked? Women, it manifests itself because women become pregnant. And then it shows up that they're HIV positive. Okay, I I see what you're saying, Maureen. Okay, stay tuned. We'll get an answer for you there. Um, uh, Tabiso uh, is calling from Pulukwane. Good morning, Tabiso. Uh, uh, good morning, Sagin, and how are you? Well, thanks. Sagin, I'll tell you, there, there's, yeah, well, there are a few issues. Uh, I'm, 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 I first attended the international conference, I think it was in 2004. I'm attending again uh, this week, the conference, and uh, my view is to clearly look at what, what, what would have changed throughout the year in terms of the content and discussion. 
Mm. One of the things that I hope that it will probably be discussed, and it's something that we normally shy away from discussing. It's an issue of relationship between HIV and AIDS and poor countries, particularly when you talk about your your countries in in, in Africa, those ones that are struggling, even their budget, shoestring budget, and those monies end up uh, on on treatment. And I think that's one of the points. The second point that I want to raise, I think I agree with the panelists there. My major, major worry is around your new infection. I mean, if we, if people would have adhered to the messages that we're sending across, you know, your 2017 free age generation, now we're talking about 2030, about 2020, some of these messages, and we, we end up at a particular point, you know, uh, uh, moving out of track. Maybe because uh, the truth has not been told or why uh, the major concentration has always been about, uh, you know, treating and increasing the number of people treatment. The more you concentrate on the other aspects, you also have a problem that you still have to make sure that uh, those that are not necessarily on treatment, you are now getting new infections. Then you must put those new people on on treatment. So I think it needs to go go hand in hand. You can't talk about the other and not talk about the other. You can't talk about funding and not talk about uh, new infections. You can't Mm. talk about budgets of countries and not talk about poverty. And those are some of the things that if collectively, uh, everyone who yeah, are able to debate. We must not be able to shy away uh, to blame the pharmaceutical companies because the whole truth is that fashion. great pharmaceutical companies, they are thriving. They are listed in a number of high stock exchanges. They are making more money on HIV and AIDS. And if we are not able to confront this truth, we are going to have a problem that years come late, 20 years later from, 26, from 2016 this year, we are still going to be increased talking about new infections and increasing the number of treatments. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, there, uh, that was Tabiso and uh, Tabiso attending that conference in uh, Durban this week. Uh, David, you're in Kenilworth in Cape Town. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning to your guests, both of whom I know. I'm surprised that the word inequality hasn't come up once in this hour. So why has South Africa got the highest incidence or, uh, and prevalence of HIV globally? An earlier caller did a calculation and said it was amazing. So why is it? Well, there are two reasons. One is we had an institutionalized migrant labor system which separated men from their women, and this has now embedded a culture where it is normal to have multiple partners. And secondly, inequality and poverty are driving the fact that young women in particular and other women are uh, necessarily uh, undertaking sex for commercial reasons to survive. So no one has talked about these structural determinants. So there's a lot of talk about behavior change. And Farid Abdullah will know that Love Life was a hugely expensive program uh, which focused on behavior change, used all sorts of modern techniques for youth, and had very little impact in behavior change. So I'm not saying that inequality is easy to address, but if we do not address this in South Africa, inequalities in power and money, Mm -hmm. I'm afraid we're not going to touch the incidence of this problem. All right, fair point. Thanks so much, David. And uh, let's take one more from Anne in El Guadini. Good morning, Anne. Good good morning, Sakia, and good morning to your guests, and thank you for the wonderful programs that you're giving us. Uh, my my comment is short, and but it is very important, I think, and that is that there should be much more encouragement for absence from 
sexual intercourse in dating. It seems to be synonymous with dating in teenage uh, culture to, to have sex as well, that the boy takes it for granted and so the girl gives in in case that she loses her boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. And so it, 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 I think a lot should be done to overcome this, uh, this culture of having uh, um, dating synonymous with having sex as well because that is where, to me, a lot of the teenage pregnancies are taking place. And a lot of what has been said merges into this question of teenage sex. Right, so thank you so much for the opportunity of saying this. And uh, I think it's so important that there would be much more encouragement to stop it. People are afraid to stop it. Mm. But I think there should be encouragement to do so. People think, no, we're we're encouraged, we're, we're we're infringing on the freedom of the individuals who are doing it. But to me, what is happening then? The outcomes of it is simply dramatic and drastic. Well, thank you so much for your contribution right. and I appreciate the call. So lots uh, for us to sink our teeth into um, uh, Dr. Abdullah and Professor Ramji. Uh, but before you do, uh, let me just read some of the messages coming through as well. Uh, Lesibana Monare says HIV AIDS doesn't kill but ignorance does. We need to educate ourselves to become a better nation and stop blaming government. Mwekezi um, says HIV is more deadly. Uh, ARVs are more deadly than HIV uh, containing a drug that kills bone marrow. Do they inform us about that? And then uh, Makema says alcohol and youth unemployment needs to be addressed if any strides will be made uh, to influence uh, sexual behavior. Sloni says uh, we won't win the fight against stigma as long as insurance companies still accept members based on HIV status and Duduzi Kumalo says transactional sex is rising with the blessers on the picture and uh, young girls are at the exposure end of HIV infections. Dr. Soli Khatle says we need a moral society to curb the spread of HIV AIDS. Young girls need to say no to blessers and sugar daddies. Well let's pick up uh, firstly with um, uh, uh, what Quite a few of our callers have picked up on. Uh, David spoke about the inequality. Tabisa was also talking about the socioeconomic situation and looking at a holistic approach uh, to this fight. Professor Ramji? Well, you know, um, <clears throat> HIV cuts across the biological, behavioral and structural uh, issues around all these issues. And that is not just about the virus itself. And you, we know that it is it cuts to the core uh, core of the social fabric of society. So it's 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 something that we 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 as scientists can learn about HIV, the virus itself. But we need partnerships with civil society, government, scientists, communities to better understand how we can address this inequality and how we can address the the new infection rates among, especially among young women who are highly vulnerable. We know in our in, in KwaZulu-Natal, in the areas that I work in, there is infection rates of 5 to 10% every year among the women under the age of 25. And it's not just about the intervention. We need to understand this, the, the inequality, the socioeconomic status. We need to understand everything. So HIV is multidisciplinary. Uh, we have to address it in a multidisciplinary way. Mm. What's your take on that, uh, Dr. Abdullah? You know, your your callers have shown that South Africans 
have a good grasp of the complexity and uh, the and a wide-ranging set of issues that relate to HIV. And quite frankly, I'm glad I've been on this program because the last 20 minutes have been a real education. So thank you to all your callers. I'll pick up on one or two issues. Uh, David, actually, David Sanders um, is absolutely right. Poor, young, unemployed women are more at risk of HIV uh, than those who are not. And that's about economic inequality. But HIV is also overlaid with gender inequality, which is you know, as big a driver uh, um, w- when it comes to the spread of this disease. I just wanted to pick up on a point made by Richard, uh, your second caller in this last set, and that is to say that um, you know, government alone cannot um, manage this epidemic, not mm. even the treatment program. And he'd be happy to hear from me that I, I think I exaggerate not if I were to say that every clinic where AIDS treatment is being provided has got an NGO partner. Every community has an NGO. And what we really do need more of is private sector thinking, sort of business-mindedness across the board. And and we're working with the private sector to bring them in. But I'll end with a point made by by Unati, um, your first caller in the set, which is basically government can do its bit but in the end, communities, families, parents, uh, and, and individuals must play their part if we want to do that. But we need to be able to communicate in a way which gets the messages across. All of your callers have so much knowledge. That's a general South African phenomenon when it comes to HIV. The problem is that it's not being translated into practice. South Africans know, but it doesn't change their behavior, whatever the drivers behind it. But thank you very much. Um, uh, I think it's been a, an education. This is a sort of discussion that we need to be having much more in this country. And we need to do, do it in smart ways. For young people, we need to use digital media. Um, you know, young people look at their phones all the time. They don't uh, talk to us on the, you know, across the table or on radio stations. So a lot more to do. Mm, and I think that was Monty's point about, you know, the suitability of the intervention because it, it cannot be a one-size-fits-all approach. But also what Richard was uh, pointing out was the fact that uh, there seems to be no consequences on various levels. Um, and if you want to link that uh, to what um, Zorro was saying uh, about human trafficking, and, and, and she said we were not punitive enough as a society in, in how we clamped down. So if you have have the sugar daddy phenomenon and you have these older men preying on younger women um be it through human trafficking being through uh, transactional sex or whatever the case may be how are we dealing with that holistically um and and perhaps we're not you know cutting to the chase there and also masabata's point that we are maybe barking up the wrong tree and i just want to take a response uh on that one very briefly uh, professor ramji Sorry, can you repeat that again? Masabata was saying maybe if, if, if we look at, you know, where we are right now, if we look at what the stats are telling us, then surely there must be something wrong in the approach uh, to fighting the scourge and perhaps we're barking up the wrong tree. I, I don't think, I think the approach is correct. But the problem is the appreciation of that approach. And are we all understand? Are we all on the same page as a society, as South Africans, as what we need to do for about this epidemic? 
we know what the uh, what the uh, uh, incidence rates are, where how the infections occur. We know the behavioral issues. We know the structural issues that is women's role in society, gender-based violence. We know biologically, the, the scientists know what are the susceptibilities among young women, for example. So I, I don't think we are barking up the wrong tree. I think we are not all on the same page. Mm, and but are we, there. Are, are we accommodating of alternative views in this regard? I think, with, uh, as Farid said, that every community is a partner in this fight. So wherever we do HIV prevention or treatment intervention, the community has an involvement. So I think that, yes, we are, we are working together on this. Well, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this morning. Thank you so much for everybody who participated. To our guest, Dr. Farid Abdullah, the CEO of the South African National AIDS Council. Also, Professor Gita Ramji, uh, the director of the HIV Prevention Research Unit at the South African Research Council. And, um, of course, uh, Midday Live will be broadcasting from uh, the uh, 21st International AIDS Conference in Durban. So you can tune in there with Darshan Moodley to get more on this. And we'll also keep tabs bringing you updates on uh, some of uh, the more important revelations coming through. With that said, thank you so much to everybody and the production team for making sure it went out loud and clear.